And I'm fucking livid that we are stuck in the timeline where Alex Jones is right. Kind of works. Why aren't the Amish afraid of, of COVID? Because they don't have TVs. As I said, democracy is a system that reinforces authoritarian ideals. I hope I don't get canceled. Talk to Being a victim of a tragedy doesn't make you an expert in public policy. Well, I mean, AOC is a drama queen and she's full <laughs> of shit. Remember, they lost the Afghan war 10 years ago. <laughs> you brought a freaking guillotine. They said, you don't get to tell us no, we're in the state health department, and I said, hell no. It wasn't making Christianity better, it was making rock worse. Uh, what what the fuck do you have on your face, Olivia? You want to make the world a better place? Have some babies, and raise them to not be stupid. I remember thinking, man, governments are not going to like this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, activists, shitposters, anarchists, people of the internet, thanks for turning away from the drama of Twitter, Facebook, or wherever the heck you're getting your news today to tune into another episode of O'Donnell for Liberty. As always, I'm your host, Justin, and before we get started, just remember, whatever platform you listen on, whether YouTube Live, Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or on the air at LRN.FM, you can help grow the show by liking, commenting, subscribing, and most of all, sharing with your friends. If you enjoy the content, you can visit our production uh, Patreon and join our production team at patreon.com slash O'Donnell for Liberty. Again, that's patreon.com slash O'Donnell, the number four, Liberty. And also make sure to check out our sponsor, snackswag.com, for all your favorite Liberty merch, including some brand new designs for Rogue Campaign merch. You know, a campaign that's not hosting their own merch because they don't want to deal with that dandy federal government and their reporting. Snackswag will host it for them. Uh, right now, hosting Jeremy Kaufman for New Hampshire libertarian merch you can head over to snackswag.com pick up your kaufman for new hampshire merch as well as some other awesome awesome great fantastic liberty designs wear your principles literally on your sleeves if you want to keep in touch between shows follow me on social media join our community discord channel where you can chat with other fans of the show at any time all these links can be found in the description of the video or podcast you're listening to as well as on o'donnellforliberty.com so check the description for that link and make sure you give a visit today now principles it's a funny word that we hear thrown around a lot as libertarians talk about what sets us apart from our major party counterparts the republicans the democrats even the greens and the constitution party we're the principled party we put principles before party we put principles before politics yet in the constant pursuit for a seat at the table time after time libertarians have let the expediency of politics get in the way of their principles So Bob Barr, Bill Weld, Nicholas Sarwark, these are some of the names that libertarians recite when asked why they believe the Libertarian Party is so unworthy of their support. These are some of the names that have carried the torch, whether officially or not, representing the ideologically publicly as the standard bearer of the Libertarian name. But was their lack of principle damaging without gain? Or was it all worth it in the end? Do the ends justify the means? As the perception of what libertarians believe was misrepresented to the public in a watered-down fashion, bait-and-switch that made our presence in the political arena more palatable, while real libertarians continued to fight in a principled manner for a world set free in our lifetimes? Or has respectability politics damaged not just the organization, but the brand as a whole, beyond political salvation? 
Because due to this focus on being accepted, rather than fighting for what's right, libertarians, not just in the Libertarian Party, but some who work within the Republican Party or nonpartisan organizations like Young Americans Liberty, have seemingly lost sight of what libertarianism actually stands for. And so we're forced to ask the age-old question of the politically mindless dedicated to politics. If you stand for nothing, what nothing will you fall for? And joining me tonight to talk about this question, former communications director of Young Americans for Liberty, Reed Cooley. Reed, thanks for joining the show tonight. How are you? I'm good, Justin. Thanks for having me. So a little background here. Um, you're not a Libertarian Party guy. I've been a big Libertarian Party guy for a long time. Uh, you've kind of been on the other team, so to speak. <laughs> to pull a line from Hans Hermann Hoppe, uh, so to speak, you've been on the other side of things, approaching the fight for liberty in the political arena in a completely different manner, uh, completely different ballpark uh, with Young Americans for Liberty and the stuff you did there. What's your background in, a, like, how did you first get involved in the liberty movement? What was your path to liberty like? Yeah, so my life was turned upside down by this guy named Ron Paul uh, back uh, <laughs> about, about six years ago, seven years ago. Uh, I was a college student at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. Uh, I was a double major in anthropology and history. I was actually studying archaeology. Uh, whenever I got involved uh, with the fight for liberty uh, there on the Baylor University campus, Got involved with my Yale chapter there. It's, I guess this is uh, 2014, 2015, uh, where that started. Graduated in 2017 uh, with a double major, anthropology, history. I worked as an archaeologist, worked on uh, several archaeological projects, uh, one in Italy, some in Texas, some that were more research-oriented, and then just decided that uh, I was tired of digging up dead people and their garbage, uh, and that it really <laughs> just, it wasn't lucrative enough to justify uh, the level of passion I had for it. So I wanted to get back in the fight for liberty because it was uh, while I was in college, I really discovered that I, that I had a burning passion you know, for liberty. I, I got to discover, uh, thanks to Young Americans for Liberty and some other uh, campus groups at the time, that, uh, you know, uh, this this liberty stuff, it makes sense to me. Uh, and it's a cause that's absolutely worth fighting for. And I would argue today, the cause that's most worth fighting for. So I got in touch uh, with, with a couple of people at Young Americans for Liberty who brought me in. I, uh, I, I worked on several campaigns in and around uh, the YAL sphere uh, before going into work, uh, you know, for Young Americans for Liberty in a full-time communications capacity. Uh, over about three and a half years, I slowly built uh, YAL's entire communications apparatus, the whole communications department uh, that you see at Young Americans for Liberty today, meaning the social media content, uh, the way that the organization interacts with TV, radio, podcasts, op-eds, producing press releases, all of that was under my purview um, because, I mean, I built that department over time. Uh, and uh, I guess I'll just kind of save the rest of the details for the rest of the conversation. But well, uh, no. Yeah, yeah I think ahead. that's an, it's something incredibly important that you were successful at because it's something that libertarians historically are not successful at. No matter what organization they're with, whether the Libertarian Party or even some of the state liberty GOP caucuses or the Mises caucuses, like interfacing with the mainstream media, interfacing with muggles and people outside of the echo chamber of liberty is something where libertarians have historically failed. Right. And uh, so to address, you know, your, your comment from a few minutes ago that I kind of yeah. been on the other side, I'm not really uh, <laughs> I'm not a person who is all that adamant about, hey, libertarians need to go Republican or libertarians need to go LP. 
my philosophy on that is do whatever works at the time, right? right. Use whatever vehicle is at your disposal. I guess I share some similarity with probably Eric Brakey uh, in that sense. But what I'm really passionate about whenever it comes to, to my contribution to liberty is the marketing, is messaging. I like taking the ideas of libertarianism and actually carrying them to the media and injecting them into the public conversation so that people, whenever they read the news or whenever they're having conversations with their neighbors or their families or whoever about the issues they care about, they're not just operating between a conservative or a liberal dichotomy, right? Uh, between just right and left. There's actually a libertarian component that's being added to the conversation. Uh, that's what I was able to achieve uh, to, uh, to a great degree of success while I was at Young Americans for Liberty. It's actually, it's interesting. So every month from March, 2021 until me leaving earlier this month, um, Young Americans for Liberty actually beat all of its competitors by a long shot. That includes much larger, more well-funded mainstream conservative groups like Turning Point mm -hmm. USA and PragerU defeated them handily in Facebook growth in some months, several times over. And about half those months, Young Americans for Liberty, despite being a much smaller organization with a much smaller team, defeated all the conservative organizations on Twitter growth as well, meaning the number of actual new followers that were earned in a given day or given week or a given month. So we, you know, I guess my story could be described at Yale as though I started off at the bottom pretty much as a door knocker, built a communications department, took Yale from last place to first place uh, in so many metrics, uh, just in, in the pretty short time that I was there, three and a half years or so. Uh, and that, that, that counts for media engagement and stuff like that. Uh, between my second to last year, my last year at Yale, uh, the, the, company's, uh, the company's earned media hits actually increased by a factor of 47 times over. So in, uh, in 2021, the org earned 47 times more earned media hits than actually, sorry, two years prior in 2019. So that's what I'm really passionate about. I think that's probably my competitive edge, we might say, <laughs> is my understanding as to just how the media works my understanding as to how to build a good targeted ad program, what it takes to build a good video, and, and really how you meet people where they're at. Actually, how you take the ideas of libertarianism, don't dilute them. That's probably something we're going to get into a lot later. You <laughs> never, ever reduce the ideas to make them more palatable. You, make, you, you, you maintain the radical nature of the libertarian philosophy, and you find a way to get that into the news cycle or into the public conversation with all these different mechanisms at your disposal. Uh, that's what I'm really passionate about, uh, kind of being a libertarian propagandist. That's kind of uh, how I fancy Somebody myself. Somebody has to do it. Um, yeah, you know, and it's, uh, I guess that's probably why, you know, I, I feel really horrible for you people stuck in the LP who really, who really get it because the LP has absolutely botched the messaging for years and years. Uh, and more commonly than, than not, unfortunately, and I'm not, not saying it's your fault, but unfortunately, the LNC, more often than not, serves as an example as to what not to do with the messaging right. as opposed to, to what to do with the messaging. And I hope that changes. I, I think that uh, with the Mises caucus uh, hopefully taking over, I think that you know that could very well get turned around or it may look like some some other kind of uh, change in leadership in the LNC. But uh, yeah, no, that's that's kind of why I've, I've kind of I've kept my distance from the LNC, so to speak. And <laughs> I'm a supporter of pretty much anyone who wants to go in there uh, and overthrow uh, you know the the current uh, the current regime, so to speak, and just go in and conquer that molehill. Absolutely. So, like one of the things you said, like you have a hyper focus on like 
mainstream media, traditional media, Facebook, like even Twitter and, and like social media that I think one of the bigger problems libertarians across the board, regardless of party or group affiliation have is acceptance of these mediums as necessary. Like so many libertarians rather than getting into their local Facebook groups and integrating into their community are like, oh, we need to just build a decentralized social media, get off traditional social media, who cares about mainstream media, make alternative media, without realizing that like everybody who's not already on board with our philosophy is left in the wake there. And, yeah. and like you stand no chance of reaching them. You stand no chance of converting them, of bringing more people to be sympathetic to libertarian views and values. And that the only people like the only influence they'll have about what libertarianism is is who's left in the mainstream media if we walk away from that and like i'm terrified and like kind of curious and dreadfully curious at the same time um where like just last night hillary clinton was on mainstream media complaining about libertarian ideology like how many people this is the first time they're ever going to google libertarianism yeah and what are they going to find we don't know is it going to be Gary Johnson? Is it going to be James Weeks? Is it going to be Joe Jorgensen or Rand Paul? Who knows what they'll find because we haven't controlled that narrative strongly enough as any group. Well, whenever it comes to the, the downfall of legacy media, um, let's actually compare that to my predictions as far as what's going to happen with the social media landscape. Look, CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, these networks are losing credibility at a rate that's a whole lot faster than the rate at which Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are losing credibility, unfortunately. Um, so I think that we're going to see, you know, we're already seeing a sort of a decentralization taking place of, of, the, of the sort of a visual broadcast media, right? That the people ingest every day. I think that that's happening at a pretty accelerated rate. But whenever it comes to social media, I just don't see anytime soon uh, a real necessity in completely abandoning, you know, the 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 more traditional uh, social media platforms, big tech, basically Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, yep. YouTube, the more traditional ones. So I think that in order to meet people where they're at, which is a platitude that most libertarians agree with, whenever you you say that, in you theory. have to actually go where people are at. And I'm sorry, they're not on alternative media yet. They're on Facebook. Yep. I mean. Facebook is by far the biggest social media platform in the world. Uh, Twitter's, a, Twitter's a distant second. No, uh, Twitter, I, I think the last metrics I saw was like a month or two ago, because I do do some social media work on the side. Um, Twitter has recently passed Facebook. Really? And TikTok has blown past both of them. Really? Like so, like, but that's by individual numbers of users around the globe, right. or is that in the country? Glo global use. That's fascinating. I want to look at that because it yep. was in December. I was kind of looking at, at this and it was like Facebook was quite literally at about four or five times the number of yep. users than Twitter. And then Instagram was number three. So if, if something's happened and yeah, TikTok is now number TikTok. one. And, and that's something I like to point out to people. Like we, we can complain all we want about even social media and digital media being centralized. But it's always one week away from something new gaining market share like tiktok went from being a lip-syncing app where people did dances all through the pandemic to now it's like the most up-to-date and accurate news source for news coming out of ukraine and the war in europe 
Yeah. And, and I mean, to give some credence to your point, you know, TikTok obviously has a stereotype of being limited to, to young people, which obviously it is really popular with Gen Z much more than boomers or whatever. But uh, my grandma is actually contacting me these days, like uh, with, with news that she learned off of TikTok. And I'm like, no, grandma, that's not accurate. Don't don't believe anything you find on TikTok or whatever. Uh, so uh, like, hey, what you're saying wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah. But uh, that's uh, that. I mean, that that would be crazy nonetheless, you know, and I just I guess I'm trying to understand um, how how use of TikTok could surpass like targeted ads on Facebook, like targeted ads on Facebook and Google are an amazing way of reaching millions of people. But, yeah, absolutely. you know, we, we could we could see this landscape totally shift. Yeah, no, I've been trying. I've been fooling around with TikTok myself, trying to get a hang of it and trying to figure out how to like go viral with something or get something noticed by a lot of people. And it's so hit and miss that I can't figure out the algorithm whatsoever. <laughs> where I'll post two very similar things, but like twenty four hours apart, one will get like two hundred views and one will get like ten thousand comments, uh, like twenty four hours apart from each other. And I'm like, I don't know what the difference between these two is. Or like I post the same thing on two different accounts and the smaller account is the one that blows up. Um, whatever TikTok is using for their algorithm blows my mind. Um, but I, I think as far as like their raw global numbers, it probably has something to do with 300 million people in China and 240 million people in India using TikTok. Uh, that skews those numbers a little bit. Uh, whereas Twitter, behind the great firewall, nobody in China is really in our landscape on Twitter. Uh, they right. were all previously on Getter before Getter rebranded as a conservative American platform. But right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, like what what TikTok does with its algorithm is absolutely crazy. So, like whenever you whenever you post a TikTok, it basically gets put into a pool of like of like ten total TikToks, including yours. And then one of those ten is going to be sent to a larger pool of a hundred TikToks. And then one of those TikToks is going to stand a high likelihood of going viral. So whenever you're posting like the TikTok, it's it's a, like structurally the algorithm is completely different than any other platform I've ever seen. And it's a lot of it's really just about chance. Like, I mean, on Twitter, it's fairly easy to predict um, how well a, a piece of social content can do if you can get influential people to share your content. Right. right. So like if you. If you have like a, you know, a loyal following already built up, or even if you have just like one or two uh, influential people sharing a tweet, you can predict that it's going to do well, right? Uh, and you can build a strategy that way. But with TikTok, it's a lot more random. Uh, it's you're you're, you're standing um, like a, like a one in one in a thousand chance uh, of, of 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 every TikTok going viral. And obviously, some people are more skilled at it than others. It seems like having ADHD probably helps. Probably uh, with, with TikTok. Yeah, uh, it, it really seems like that helps being being hyperactive, maybe even uh, doing a little coke or some bath salts before you get on there. No, th or that on could, there. That I mean, just yeah, just do it on the video. You might go viral. Um, I do it on this video, but I already have too many strikes on YouTube. So <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, to that point, like I think these are areas where libertarians as a whole just fail is understanding traditional media, understanding social media, understanding how your marketing strategy affects the reception of your brand. And that's all what it really comes down to is like we need to look at libertarianism as a brand. Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. So like when I was at Yale, I, I made my team basically go through an exercise where we said, okay, like what adjectives do we want to have conveyed in everything and in, in every, in every piece yep. of content we want to create. Right. So like 
So set aside for now, like the story that we wanted our content to tell, like, like what adjectives do we want to sort of channel uh, through our content and in a way that, that you know, that, that impacts the perception of who Young Americans for Liberty is. And so we came up with four. It was young, smart, rebellious and aggressive. Right. And so, like, you know, that was that was just something that resonated with us. We're, we're, we're not just libertarian. We weren't just libertarians at Yale. We were young libertarians, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but whenever you talk about libertarianism, you're talking about a philosophy that at least in theory should be somewhat rebellious. It should be a little bit punk rock. Right. It should be like, you know, like there's nothing to me. There's nothing cooler. And looking at, at stuffy politicians and throwing in the middle finger, you know, uh, it you know, should be like, punk rock before punk rock cowed to COVID. Yeah, no, it absolutely should be. So, like, whenever you talk about libertarianism as a brand, like, it's not going to be like getting in suits and ties and wearing a cute little wearing a cute little bow tie and parting your hair perfectly and getting a pretty smile uh, and and being respectable and being honorable and making sure. <laughs> not to take cheap shots and don't, don't violate decorum. It's not going to be any of that. It's got to be, it's got to be a little bit punk rock. Like right now in American history is the time to be unconventional. Like now people and ideas and political parties should be taking risks. We should be taking risks with how we market ourselves, with how we message ourselves, with how we conduct ourselves and how people perceive us. And I think like that's also just the opposite of what we see from so many across the libertarian movement, right? You know, they, they don't want to necessarily take risks. They want to, they want to recreate what the duopoly or, or whatever has already done. And I'm sorry, but like, if you take what the duopoly has done and then you make it the color yellow, that's just not go. That's just not going to, to appeal to people. It it's just, just isn't. And you're going, you're going like to, I, yeah, you're going to alienate your base as well. I mean, which is yeah. exactly what we've seen by the way over the last several years, nobody like the, the libertarian party is having such a difficult time bringing in new people because it alienated its core base. The people who believe in ending the wars and ending the fed. Uh, so many right. of the people who latched onto the Ron Paul revolution in 2008 and 2012 are embarrassed by what's happening within the libertarian party leadership now, because well, of everything that started with Nick Sarwark and the, the lugubrious bill Weld. And then Joe Bishop Henchman after him. So and the gatekeeping hasn't stopped. If anything, it's gotten worse. Um, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Brianna Coyle. I, I don't know much about yeah. them other than that they annoy the shit out of me on social media from time to time. But they finally blocked <laughs> me today uh, after I called them out for a Twitter post they had, which it said, "If you became a libertarian because you're upset about COVID lockdowns, as opposed to have been a libertarian because you're upset about police brutality, I don't trust your motives and don't want mm. you here." I'm like. I'm sorry, but if you became a libertarian, this what it sounds like to me is what you're saying is if if you became a libertarian by following somebody else's lesson plan instead of the prescribed curriculum of the public school system, then you're not welcome in our libertarian party, is what she it sounded like they were saying. Oh, well, uh, accounts like that were the bane of my existence when I was vice president of communications at Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, I am familiar uh, <laughs> with the account that you're describing uh, because uh, it was more than one occasion. Like I would like my team would have like this piece of social content that would just take off. Like our audience would love it. It would it would like it would get maybe sometimes we get retweeted by like Joe Rogan or somebody. Uh, and like, so obviously we were breaking into circles outside of the libertarian sphere, which is what we were trying to do, right? Like liberty pill, 
conservatives, basically. Liberty pill, right. the people outside the movement who are already the most susceptible to becoming libertarian. It's like we would have like a piece of content that would just do so well. It would be firing on all cylinders. It would it was just a, a resounding success. In so many instances, I would see that account and others like it. Like, oh my God, this is conservative garbage. I'm like, <laughs> uh, like okay. Like, you're not the kind of person that we're interested in trying to please here. Like, if we have to dance around the sensitivities and the uh, the profound insights of people like that, then then yeah, the libertarian movement will go absolutely nowhere. Actually, if it does go anywhere, it, it will probably regress if it's bound. Yep. To the sensitivities of people, you know, like who you're describing. Well, that kind of touches on the uh, controversy at hand, like the the big controversy lately with Young Americans for Liberty and the Liberty Movement. Like during your tenure at Yale, you built a communications department that embraced bold messaging, embraced radical libertarianism, and made it work. Got outside the echo chamber, reached people, and reinvigorated a base of libertarianism. Like here, I live in New Hampshire. We have more libertarians in the state house in New Hampshire than the rest of the country combined, largely because of Yal and Yal's messaging and the work Yal's helped us do here. And libertarian party members and liberty Republicans working together to recognize, yeah, I don't care if Herschel's elected as a Republican. He's a great libertarian who is yeah. voting and submitting libertarian bills. Um but the messaging Yal's been using the past couple of years has been incredible and very principled and very straightforward until all of a sudden you're no longer employed at Yale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so just to put it bluntly, the woke yeah. war machine has taken over Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, that's a very unfortunate thing to have to say, but I also call it Raytheon with rainbows, right? Yeah, uh, but <laughs> uh, is the thing is like given the circumstances that led to Cliff Maloney leaving Yale. Um, like, I don't ever want to say that Cliff shouldn't have been removed from his position after what happened. But like when Lauren Doherty replaced him, like what was the immediate culture shift or culture shock at Yale like? Oh boy. Well, uh, so really the issues with Lauren Doherty began before she was even put into the CEO position. So it was a couple of weeks before. Uh, Lauren actually took the job of, of CEO at Yale. This was last spring. Uh, the team had had like we had a meet and greet uh, with Lauren. This was like our first time getting to to know her. She came into the Yale HQ. Uh, she spoke with us. People asked her questions about who she was and what she had done for the movement and her mm -hmm. beliefs and all of that. And that's where things got interesting. Uh, so one staffer asked Lauren in front of everyone a, a very simple question. Uh, what is your position on the Federal Reserve? Uh, and Lauren admitted in front of everybody, this is weeks before she took the job, that uh, that she didn't necessarily believe in ending the Federal Reserve. You know that uh, that you know, she didn't really know if that was her position on the issue or not. Uh, I can tell you that raised a red flag with me. That raised a red flag with every single staffer, uh, you know, in 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 there, and all the vendors and everyone else who were also on the call. Uh, so the W2s and the W9s. Um, but of course, that's not even close to where it ended. Um, something else happened several days before uh, Lauren Doherty even even got the job. So the the fundraising team, they call it development at Yale, yep. the Yale development team, uh, it uh, it coordinated with the Babylon Bee uh, in order to get a sponsored article published uh, that was showcasing one of our student activists in upstate New York. So we had we had a, we had an activist in upstate New York 
who was fighting, she was fighting the SJWs uh, just, and the left on her campus pretty hard. And she was doing a fantastic job of it. The whole company was proud of her. Um, so the Devo team at Yale coordinated with the Babylon Bee to get a sponsored article out about, you know, the body paragraphs of this article were basically covering everything that the activist had done. And then in the conclusion, there was a call to action um, that, that read something to the effect of, if you want to, if you want to donate to an organization that fights CRT in the classroom, donate to Young Americans for Liberty. And our donation link was embedded in it. This was huge. Like our staff were excited by it because the Babylon Bee wrote something that looked a lot like an endorsement of us, right? And it, it, it was such a big thing because the staffers, they yell. They were, maybe they still are fans of the Babylon Bee. Um, but despite all of that, Lauren evidently had a big problem with it. So she contacted me directly and said that, uh, and I, I actually had nothing to do with the article. This was completely the work of the Devo team, but she contacted me. She assumed I had something to do with it and said that she felt like the article was problematic because it made us look like a bunch of, quote, privileged white kids. And that that was a major concern of hers, was making sure that we didn't look like privileged white kids. Uh, so that was, like I said, that was, she hadn't even taken the job of CEO at that point. This was several days uh, before she even took the role. I later found out that uh, behind my back, the leadership team at Yale had reached out to the Babylon Bee requested that the mention of Yao be taken out of the article and that the money be given back from the Babylon Bee to Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, ostensibly, this is all as a result of Lauren coming in and forcing this to happen. But, uh, you know, that was, in my opinion, that was absolutely pathetic um, and completely out of touch with the ethos of, of the Ron Paul revolution. Yeah, it's wild giving to such me. SJW-esque, you know, objections to good content right it's wild to me too because like my previous experience with lauren is as i told you before i worked with lauren prior uh to her taking the job with young lucky you. liberty um i worked with lauren when she was the development director of the libertarian national party and i was on the board of the lnc at the time as the region eight representative and uh, my experiences with her were always quite the opposite of this and she was always very stringently libertarian um she was helping to work and found several uh, libertarian veterans groups that she was fronting and leading. She was always more of a conservative libertarian than a radical, which is weird because I come from a more left-leaning anarcho-libertarianism perspective myself. Um, and I always saw her as more of a conservative right-wing fiscal libertarian. So to hear her say, no, I don't want to end the Fed, mind-blowing to me because the four years I knew and worked with her, that's, that was a non- no question there. I uh, just see you're caring about the woke and the left. Like she ran for justice of the peace in Waco, Texas. Like you can't yeah. be appeasing the woke and the left in Waco, Texas and hope to get elected. Uh, <laughs> you it's yeah. this shift in her. I'm wondering how much of it's her versus how much of its directions from Yal's sponsors and um, board of directors as an overcorrection for Cliff Maloney. Well, I think that it's actually a mixture of both. Um, I, I I think that so a lot of the objections that I receive uh, from, from Lauren Doherty and uh, a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the directives that my team and I received 
uh, were not things that could have come from the board of directors. They were worded exactly like 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 right. objections of her own. These were her. This was her opinion that she was trying to inject into the Young Americans for Liberty brand. While I was there, I couldn't help but think that uh, maybe if somebody had told her that the Federal Reserve was run by white males, she might be serious <laughs> about trying to end it. Uh, but uh, it, it didn't end there. So it was uh, it was like. May, I want to say it was like May 10th, May the 11th. It was early May 2021. Uh, my, my social media team posted the first of many tweets attacking Liz Cheney. Okay, Liz Cheney. Yale was founded in opposition to the Bushes and the Cheney. So attacking Liz Cheney should have just been a no-brainer. Right. But uh, Lauren apparently had an issue with this. So she contacted me with a series of text messages reading, and I quote, my brain isn't at its best this week, but isn't what Liz Cheney is doing right now more aligned with our interests than other times. I don't see how criticizing her right now on her opposition to Trumpism is in your best interest. I frankly commend her for her courage on this one. So uh, you, your audience uh, can go to Tho Bishop's Twitter page and actually see those screenshots. You'll have to scroll back a little bit at this rate. But that final sentence yeah. there where she said, where she says, I frankly commend Liz Cheney for her courage on this one. Well, that's the crazy um, part. That's that's yeah. what it all boils down to is Trump derangement syndrome. Trump yep. bad, orange man bad. And that blows my mind and it pisses me off because like there are times and, and there's been a lot of times in my adult life since I've left the U.S. military, since I've gotten involved in politics, where I'll devolve into an admitted single issue voter. And my single issue as a libertarian is being anti-war. That is my one big issue. I voted for issue. I voted for Tulsi Gabbard in the Democratic primary because the one issue I cared about, she was the most libertarian candidate in any party at yeah. that time. And that was something I desperately wanted to see represented. I will say, without a doubt, up until very recent events, um, Donald Trump was objectively the single best president in my lifetime. Now, I was only born in 1989, so I've got two Bushes, Clinton, Obama, and Trump. And whatever we have now, yeah. Yeah, to work with. <laughs> and uh, But at, in that period of time, since 1989, the only elected president we had had that did not start a new war yeah. was Donald Trump. And I don't care what anyone else says, like, Lauren, especially as a veteran, somebody who spearheaded so many libertarian veterans movements, should have recognized that what Trump did for veterans by not creating more was more than any other president in recent memory has done. And it objectively made him the best president in my lifetime until Joe Biden actually ended a war he inherited, which was mind blowing. But again, a lot of the credit for that actually goes to Trump for putting the stones in motion to end Afghanistan. Well, just, you know, the more that I got to work with Lauren Doherty, uh, the more it, it seemed to me that, uh, that for, you know, it was very possible that, that, that Trump's anti-war leanings might have been one of many reasons she disliked him so much. Uh, I mean, I, I do think that whenever it comes to the, 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 the philosophy that is being injected into Yale now via Lauren Doherty and a couple of members of the board of directors, I think that you're looking at an admixture of wokeism on, on social issues and unfortunately neoconservatism on issues of foreign policy. Like I said, I call it the woke war machine. <laughs> uh, just, you know, the more that I got to work with Lauren over a long period of time, uh, I did get the feeling and a lot of people got the feeling inside the company that just her leanings on, on foreign policy were nowhere near uh, anti-war. 
Um, you know, there were, I remember it was, it was like back in August of 2021, whenever the United States was, was withdrawing from Afghanistan, Lauren was tweeting all these tweets about how she believes angels come in, in, in some forms. And right now they're C-17 right now that they're C-17s. And we need to make sure that, that those C-17s are picking up as many uh, Afghan refugees as they can. Or there was another tweet she put up like within a couple of days of that. Uh, she said that um, she said that she felt like it was disrespectful to say, well, we should have never really been there in the first place as people were dying and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, OK, that is not necessarily smoking gun evidence of of Lauren being like a neocon or something. But that is definitely a tweet that indicates there is something else that she wants to say that she knows that she can't. It's mind blowing in. Again, as someone, one of my proudest moments on Twitter and social media, one of my proudest social media moments my for my own brand was getting blocked by Megan McKean for telling her her father deserved to suffer for being a war criminal. I don't regret that one bit, and I believe every word of what I said. Um, and I'd say the same to Liz Cheney. <laughs> like, I yeah. say it to her face. I, I don't think any libertarians should ever care and then now wasn't there something you said about kamala harris that really triggered lauren yeah uh so uh there it, this was right at a month after the liz cheney thing right about a yeah. month so my social team posted a picture of kamala harris laughing into a microphone and uh, with the caption reading uh find someone who laughs at your jokes the way kamala harris laughs at a question she doesn't know the answer to to me, that was a pretty like benign tweet. Like, there's nothing like all that provocative about it. I, I think that it's was hilarious. Mild. Yeah, I mean, it, it was hilarious. But to me, that that wasn't even that offensive. We're just pointing out the fact that Kamala Harris can't answer questions when she goes to press releases. She's a complete moron. And but Lauren got angry at this, so contacted me and said, and I quote: "It looks really bad if we are calling the first non-white and female VP stupid, which is how many people will see this." Uh, that was that was just. You know, it's pretty blowing. racist and sexist of Lauren to assume that somebody deserves and needs special treatment just because they're not white or a man. Yeah, it's it's incredibly patronizing. Do you ever notice how it's it's the pay, it's the pasty, pastiest, most privileged white people who love to patronize people of color the most? Like, I mean, have you ever <laughs> noticed that? Like, it's uh, it's that's that's just a, an anecdotal sort of a conjectural observation. Uh, on my part, but yeah, that was uh, that that was just otherworldly to me. Like I was expecting Rod Serling to like pop out of a door at any moment, look into some invisible camera somewhere, and say, "And what Reed doesn't realize is he just slipped into the twilight zone." Like it was just, <laughs> it was bizarre to me. But going back to your previous point, um, it's also worth noting that uh, in 2020, Lauren supported none other than Bill Weld for president. Uh, I mean, this is this is 2020. This is where he ran for the Republican primary. Uh, against Trump, very ill-fated, very futile, uh, you know, needless to say. But his, his his core, you know, objective here was running to the left of Donald Trump within the Republican primary. And of course, this was after it was well known that Bill Weld served on the board of Raytheon uh, and vouched not once but twice on TV for Hillary Clinton, including one appearance on MSNBC, called her a good person and said his foreign policy for the most part aligns with hers. That's who Lauren Doherty supported for president in 2020, a Raytheon board member 
who, th who thinks that Hillary Clinton is a good person. So I, you know, whenever you were telling me like uh, before the show that Lauren Doherty really seemed to be kind of based at one time, uh, that, that, that just seemed like, uh, what? Like that is not yeah. what 10 months of experience have to say. But when no. you talk about the fact that, okay, it also definitely looked like Lauren was more on the conservative side of things than on the radical libertarian side of things. That's something that I could believe because a lot of the kinds, not all of them, but a lot of the kinds of objections that, uh, that, that we faced really seem to be the kinds of objections that would come from like either a moderate Republican in disguise as a libertarian or someone who doesn't understand the difference between like moderate right. center right rhino Republicans uh, and, and, and actual libertarians. So that was a lot of what we were up against was it really seemed like, like on the political spectrum, Lauren seemed like a just to the right of the center, but with, but with some, some very leftist views on racial issues and her idea of libertarianism was not as a radical philosophy, but as a more kind of centrist philosophy, maybe center-right philosophy. And that's where I think, you know, the profound uh, philosophical, you know, disagreements and creative differences really stemmed from was yeah. the fact that, you know, there were the people in the organization like myself who recognized, you know, libertarianism is a radical, even far-right, you know, ideology. That's just factual. And the people like Lauren and her cronies who are in the organization now, who wanted to be more of a kind of milk toast, squishy, centrist, uh, inclusive, um, you know, overly inclusive movement. Yeah, it, it's it's just it's so disheartening and disappointing to see such a great organization fall like this. And um, it, it's twofold too because Lauren leaving the Libertarian Party not only made Yao worse, apparently it made the Libertarian Party worse too, uh, because the new development director that they replaced Lauren with for the Libertarian Party is Tyra DeSisto, who is an absolute nut job leftist woke monster. Mm. <laughs> so at least Lauren, at least by all appearances and understanding understood libertarianism and was representing it correctly in her job when she was with the LP. I don't, right. something has happened. It might've been her intermediate stay at Baylor working in development for Baylor after she left uh, the LP before mm -hmm. young Americans for Liberty, maybe academia got to her um, as it does to so many, like you can't work in academia and escape the wokeism nowadays. Well, um, it, it's, it's so interesting that I went to Baylor years ago, <laughs> graduated from there yeah. Um, while I was there, Lauren, this is this is crazy stuff. While I was an undergraduate at Baylor, Lauren's husband was a professor at Baylor and is still a <laughs> professor there. So and Lauren was actually running for justice of the peace in Waco, Texas, while I was a student at Baylor, which is located in Waco. So like Lauren and I were like within who knows, we might have even crossed paths years ago or something like I'm that. I'm surprised you, know, you didn't end up door knocking for her. Like <laughs> Oh, yeah. But she she was such a strong candidate with such a well-run campaign. I'm surprised I wasn't attracted to her campaign as well. <laughs> uh, but uh no, it's uh, it's just um it, that's so crazy, but I'll tell you this. Something about what you're saying makes sense because when I was an, under, an undergraduate student at Baylor, involved with the liberty scene and involved with conservative politics as well, I saw the, you know, the campus's transformation from a conservative kind of Christian campus, one of the very few in the country, yep. into a Christian leftist campus. Like Baylor University, I would never consider giving them money. Uh, I, I just wouldn't, uh, despite the fact that I'm a graduate of there, a proud graduate from Baylor. 
because they've become sort of a, a Christian leftist institution. Like, so I have friends who are there both as, as faculty and as students. And they tell me like, it, it, it's, it's, it's woke Christianity. It's like, they're taking, they're taking Christianity and repurposing it to, to, to embellish their sort of leftist ideology. Like if that's, that's just disgusting to me, man. So uh, like you're setting aside any, any kind of debate on religion or whatever completely, it's just uh, like I, I actually saw that happen when I was there, a student there. Uh, whenever Ken Starr uh, was fired, also because of a lot of allegations of misconduct against students and athletes and stuff like that, that it was uh, it was alleged that he mishandled. Um, and Baylor University actually made the same exact mistake while I was there. The Young Americans for Liberty made while I was there, and that's that Baylor replaced Ken Starr. With a with a female president in a in just a, a bold faced attempt to try and save face, and I saw what happened to Baylor after uh, the new president came in, and she might be a really nice lady. I I only spoke to her once, but uh, after she came in, I just saw that there was such a a deep and visceral transformation in the campus culture. There, everything was about social justice. All of a sudden, you had all these different kind of alphabet and multiracial groups popping up that didn't exist before. Uh, I was actually taking my last final exam at Baylor in 2017, and there was a protest happening right outside because uh, a bunch a bunch of leftist students were like were, were using megaphones and screaming and stuff. And my professor <laughs> had to say, "Just try your best to focus, everybody. I think we can get through this in about 45 minutes." Oh, so like that was like that's what happened to Baylor. They got rid of a, a conservative university president, replaced him with a woman. Uh, as soon as that happened, just for whatever reason, the campus culture just completely went to the dogs, became Christian leftist. Fast forward six years, I'm at Yale and I see the same exact mistake happening. And it's it's because they appointed a woman who happened to be around Baylor when I was there years before. It's just crazy stuff, man. I know. And I, I look back on it and I remember when they announced they were hiring Lauren. Um, and I remember a friend sending me the link to the announcement. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. I know Lauren. I know her real well. I think she'll do incredible at the job. And like, I remember like when I was on the LNC, there were some staff members of the LP that complained to me. They, there were complaints about Lauren, but it was never her principles. It was about micromanagement and stuff that are typical problems in a small organization. I figured in a larger organization like Yale, those could be diluted by the presence of middle management and, uh, people to work in between her and the staff. But what struck out to me is like, this might be the chance for Yal and the LP to build that bridge because we had such a hostile relationship between Yal and the LP for so long uh, due to the LP just falling on its own ass and Yal picking occasionally shitty Republicans because they had a few libertarian leanings over an LP candidate in a race, um, which to be fair, Yell's argument was eh, them or the progressive, like we're playing defense here and the libertarians didn't stand a chance of winning. Um, so to me, like it made a hope of with Joe Bishop henchman was elected. I'm like, okay, he's a professional. He has nonprofit management experience. Uh, he's a prag. I'm, he's not a radical, but like he'll maybe turn the organization of the LP around to the point where it can build infrastructure, support candidates, support campaigns with Lauren in charge of Yale. Maybe there'll be some friendly relationships built there and we can start seeing an organization like Yale being friendly with libertarians and getting not just just great liberty Republicans elected, but also some libertarians elected. And to see 
my entire hopes and dreams of that just shattering in the past year has been kind of disheartening on both fronts. On Joe Bishop Benjamin just tearing the LP down to the lowest point it's been in my memory and Lauren turning out to be such a disappointment at Yale. Well, I, what I do think will happen is um, <clears throat> actually, so so just to, to give your, your audience a little bit of uh, context here. Uh, so Young Americans for Liberty has a, has a, a flagship program called Operation When at the Door. Yep. And it's through Operation When at the Door that the organization and its pack make Liberty Win Pack. They, they identify college students or just young people in general who are passionate about liberty. Then they send them to go knock doors in order to help get candidates elected. Uh, you know, meaning like, you know, state, you know, state house and state Senate candidates um, in, for state legislative races across the country. Right. What I do think will happen is we will start to see this massive infrastructure that Yale has built over a very long period of time for actually getting the resources necessary, you know, to, to get good principled, you know, state level candidates elected, we will start to see that infrastructure in, in my opinion, repurposed uh, to the benefit of the LNC. I think that what, what Lauren will do is she will use, in my opinion, what, what Lauren will do is use her position as CEO to the best of her ability to make sure that more and more and more LP candidates are being considered for endorsement uh, through, you know, through Young Americans for Liberty. And so I think that this is going to have a profound shift on what is probably the most important program underneath the Young Americans for Liberty umbrella. And I'm not saying we shouldn't endorse LP candidates. It's a I'm matter just, of targeting. It's a matter of picking the right, right ones. Like Marshall yep. Burt, who's running for re-election. Yep. That's great a example. race that's a great example that they get behind. I've donated money to Marshall. Again, yep. he's a prey. He's not a radical. He's someone I disagree with on policy, but like the 80% rule that Larry Sharp preaches all the time. He's a hell of a lot closer to me than anyone that might run against him. So like I'll support him and Gal should support him. He's great. Uh, Bethany Baldez, also in Wyoming. She's come so close twice in a row that it makes no yep. sense for Yale to not get behind her. And even Cliff Maloney, after her first race, is like, yeah, we we fucked up. We missed. We dropped the yep. ball on that one. We should have endorsed her. We didn't yep. think she had a chance, and she lost by two points. Our bad. Um, and then there's some races sporadically in Maine. There's some races sporadically in New Hampshire, but they're not the majority. And if she turns Yale from sending 100 kids to doorknock for 70 candidates in New Hampshire to sending five kids to doorknock for two candidates in New Hampshire because they're re not Republicans, that can yep. be lead to a net negative, even if it gets a libertarian elected. Yeah, well, I mean, I just, I don't want to see such a program repurposed to the to the unfair benefit of one party or another. Right. I, I want to yeah. see it continue to just endorse candidates that it assesses to the best of its ability to be principled sure. and be viable. Um, I just, but, but what I see here is I see, you know, this is, this is unfortunate for me to have to watch, but I do already see indications that the communications and marketing infrastructure that I built over three and a half years is being used, is being repurposed, is being appropriated by Lauren and by this new chief strategy officer that's been appointed uh, to, to benefit their own personal uh, political philosophy. I suspect that, that in the same way that my communications department is being repurposed now, 
the infrastructure of operation went at the door will be gradually, if not immediately, um, repurposed to benefit Lauren's political ends and, and those of key members of the board of directors. Well, here's the wild part. Here's, here's the wild card question here. Uh, the Reno reset, the Mises caucus pushed to take over the LNC in just a few months time in Reno, Nevada. Um, if the Mises caucus is successful in sweeping the LNC and changing the course of the libertarian party, does that leave Lauren's strategy homeless? Uh, no, I think, you know, this is something that I was I was discussing with Joshua yeah. Smith at Break the Cycle, for example. Yeah, I think that uh, that the people like Lauren Doherty and Joe Bishop Henchman and Nick Sarwark are slowly but surely finding a new home inside of Young Americans for Liberty. So whenever whenever people like Lauren Doherty get displaced in the Libertarian Party, I think that uh, that the door has already been opened for them to enter Young Americans for Liberty and reinstitutionalize themselves there. Uh, that's really unfortunate because what I was hoping to come out of this with was maybe there was a possible positive pragmatic uh, prognosis for the whole thing with the situation with Yal and the Liberty Movement in general. But I mean, where does this leave you, Reed? Like, where, where, what are you doing now? Well, I'm trying to figure some of those details out uh, as we speak. Um, you know, I can tell you that I'm going to be in the fight for liberty for a long time. So uh, people like Lauren Doherty, uh, they can just watch out because I'm not going to be disappearing anytime soon. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be in the fight for a long time and I'm going to continue to use my skills for communications, my skills for PR and marketing uh, to, to continue to build systems and set as many brush fires for liberty uh, as I possibly can wherever that will be, whether that is in institutions that have already been built, whether it's in a more sort of unofficial sense, like an underground sort of sense, or whether it's in an institution that doesn't exist already. And in all likelihood, I'll probably, I'll probably be spread across a lot of different places, helping a lot of different people. Um, I am currently doing uh, some consulting work, uh, helping some people build up their social media presence. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to be commenting uh, doing media, I'm going to stay relevant. Um, I can tell you I'm not going to be going anywhere, uh, but um, as I, I am I am also in the process of looking for other good people out there, good, skilled, aligned people of strong character uh, who can join me um, in really taking your liberty to the next level in a multitude of different ways. So the exact details are still TBD, but uh, I can tell you, I'm going to be in the fight for liberty for a lifetime, and I'm not going anywhere. Well, uh, I look forward to you moving to New Hampshire, joining us here in the Free State Project. That's my okay. little plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, hey, people like you are who we're trying to recruit. People like you who uh, don't just talk the talk, who do the who walk the walk and put in the work. Uh, as I said, we, we, we were joking earlier about my post from earlier today about how I have 12 different ongoing volunteer and activism uh, projects that I'm working on and realizing how close I am to getting burned out trying to keep everything balanced. It's We're trying to find more people like yourself because I, I think the Free State Project um, in combination with the Owls Win at the Door, in combination with the newly revitalized Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, um, embracing bold radical messaging and the liberty movement as a general just like kind of coalescing around like the successes we've had in new hampshire and 
kind of casting aside the regime libertarians of the Cato Institute and Nicholas Sarwark and um, the old LNC and the pragmatic vision and the, the nonprofit think tank brand of libertarianism because as opposed to the doers and the doers are the ones that matter. Um, so um, I would tell you, you definitely should come up for pork fest this summer. Uh, tickets are almost sold out and you should definitely come visit New Hampshire. You might okay. fall in love and refuse to leave because you're going to find a whole bunch of people here just like you who want to do the work and get it done. Um, <laughs> I remember at one point, Yal was talking about relocating to New Hampshire. Yep. So, yep. That was uh, ancient history. Go. I'll say I've been to New Hampshire. I yeah. do love that state. Uh, but uh, if you can't tell, if you can't tell by the accent, I'm a Southern boy. Uh, I, I like I like hot weather. I don't really like snow or any kind of ice that falls from the sky. Uh, but uh, so I don't know. I, I may camp out in Texas, stay here for a while, or maybe go to Florida. Not sure where I'm going to be next. And I'll tell you, New Hampshire is not going to be off the table. And I'm happy to help you guys however I can. Yeah, well, we really appreciate it. Uh, the, the work you've done, the work you're doing, um, the expertise you bring to the table is something I think is really important for libertarians to embrace. And I, I think, honestly, the first 30 minutes of what we talked about tonight is far more important than the drama that yeah. was exciting to talk about because that's how libertarianism gets to win and gets to grow is people understanding that it's not, it's not it, as important as it is to do the work. It's important to know how to do it right to um and get that message out there and what you were able to build with yell i really hope to see you rebuild it independently on its own somewhere else somewhere new um if yell is dead set on diving down in a dumpster fire with the lnc i say let them um because the revolution doesn't die by the whims of an individual the revolution fights on as long as a single individual is willing because as ron paul said an idea whose time has come can be stopped by no army. Um, so, Reed, where can everybody follow you? Best place to find me is on Twitter. You can find me uh, at J Reed Cooley, J R E E D C O O L E Y. Awesome. And thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for being a part of the program. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Remember, hit that big red subscribe button on YouTube or Odyssey. Or if you're listening on the radio, make sure you share with your friends. Tell them about the show. Tell them about the program. And tune in next week, every week, for a new program about how people are making liberty win in their lifetime. Until next time, be free. Thanks again for tuning in and joining us tonight. Make sure you hit that like button and leave a comment below to let us know your thoughts. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that big red subscribe button on YouTube and turn on notifications to get alerted every time we go live. If you enjoyed this content, you can join our production team on Patreon by following the link in the description. And don't forget to follow on social media and join our community Discord channel by following the links in the description as well. The best part of all of this is the community that we're building and growing. So go ahead and join us. And thanks once again to our awesome sponsors and patrons for making all of this possible. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always catch it the next day on YouTube, Odyssey, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. So until next time, everybody, be free.